0: May each of us do what each of us has sung. Bring forth the kingdom of God wherever he has placed you. In neighborhoods, work, commuter trains, families you've married into, friends he's brought into your presence, into your life. Bring forth the kingdom of God. This morning, no matter what your circumstances of life, some mornings more meaningful than others. God's grace Much needed, God's mercy, always needed, and God's peace, which is hard to grasp. God's mercy, God's grace, God's peace. 21 years ago, the case for Christ, 1998, 21 years ago. There's one book I hand out more than any other during the course of a year, actually 20 to 30 of them, that is called Red Sea Rules, what a Christian needs to do in, in difficult times. It's only about 84 pages, Red Sea Rules. Probably have handed out a thousand copies of that book in this last 10 years, 12 years. This one is the second most that I hand out, maybe 10 a year, or maybe 15 because if someone comes to me and says, I'm having difficulty with my faith, or if someone comes to me and says, this relative of mine or, or uh, this uh, colleague of mine, this is a book that I hand them. If you're in a small group and you're studying the case for Christ, there is now recently a study guide that has gone along with it. And as I've looked at it, it's marvelous, right on point. As I said last night, if you're not in a small group, then uh, you ought to Google this book and order it. It will do wonders in your own faith life. And when you've read this one, then you'll want to read the next one, The Case for Faith, and then you'll want to read the next one, The Case for the Resurrection. He has a powerful, powerful way of delivering the knowledge as to why our Lord is real. Forget that book for a moment, because that's another book. And this book was written uh, beginning 2,200 years ago. Uh, Usher's chronology 4,000 years ago, if you're looking at Adam and Eve, this book. And maybe God chuckles when he sees the title on Lee Strobel's book, and maybe he wants to keep him a plagiarism, but uh, Strobel's books do... Uh, powerful things in God's kingdom, so God won't mess with him. He'll just smile a little bit, because this book is the case for Christ. This book is the case for Christ. Second Peter one sixteen, uh, Peter writes, "We did not follow cleverly invented miser tales when we made known to you the Lord Christ. We were eyewitnesses of." His, we were eyewitnesses of His Majesty. Eyewitnesses put people in jail. Eyewitnesses get people out of jail who were incarcerated falsely. Eyewitnesses take hypotheses in science and they turn it into scientific theories and facts. Peter said we did not follow Mizer Tales, we were eyewitnesses on that mountain of his majesty. And we were eyewitnesses for three years as we saw him do one miracle after another. That was his case for Christ. Eyewitnesses. The high priest, the Caiaphas day before Jesus dies. Yes, Jesus on trial says to him, upon oath, Jesus, art thou the Christ, the son of the living God? And Jesus said, it is as you just said. Jesus was making a case for himself. And the high priest knew exactly what he was saying because he then tore his robes. And he said, this man has spoken blasphemy. He deserves death. The case for Christ. Holy Spirit comes anywhere. And when the Holy Spirit comes, uh, then uh, Christ becomes real to an individual. He cannot become real, 1 Corinthians 13. He cannot become real, no one can say Jesus is Lord, uh, but by the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit is real, he comes anywhere. You can have a guy who never went to the seminary, never took an instruction, never went to church... You can have a guy who destroyed his entire life and the lives of others. You can have him invaded by the Holy Spirit as he's hanging on a cross. And out of his mouth comes his case for Christ. One of the most powerful witnesses in the Bible. Because when you have a thief on the cross saying, I believe in you, Jesus. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. Is not that a powerful case for the one named Christ? woman there at Sycars. well, uh, middle of the afternoon. She cannot come in the morning. She's despised by the people in town. And she comes at one o'clock in the afternoon, and he's sitting there. Maybe his legs crossed, maybe not. He's sitting there waiting for her. And when she comes, he speaks about living water that when you drink it, never thirst again. She has her own case for Christ. She runs into town. She knocks at door number one, door number two, door number three, door number four, door number five. 200 people in the village. She knocks on every door, and she presents her case for Christ. She doesn't write a book that sells five million copies. She doesn't write a book. She goes into the town and presents the case for Christ. There's a guy out there by the well, a mile and a half away from here. He's told me everything about my life. Things that even you guys don't know. I think he's the Christ, I think he's the Messiah. And the Bible says the entire town goes out. And then the Bible says they came to the faith in Jesus not because of the woman's presentation. They came to their own faith in Jesus because they listened to Him and believed by the Holy Spirit's working there in the village of Sychar. They believed Him. Her case for Christ, did it send 200 people to heaven? No. No. Sons and daughters of these people, the people that had been visiting these people in their homes during that particular day, how many are in heaven because of a woman at Sychar as well, making her case for Christ? She could have listened to him and said, great story, man. I don't know. Did you listen to the gossip? How else did you know? I've been married five times, living with number six. And she all sorts of things could have gone through her head. But the one thing that went through her head is, I know him. And though the people in this town hate my guts, I want them to know him. That was her case for Christ. No fancy book. That was her case for Christ. They're in the upper room. It's the first Easter. Jesus appears to them. And they are overwhelmed with joy. We have seen him risen from the dead. That's what they say to Thomas who was not there. Thomas said, Baloney, nice story, man. Nice story. I wonder how long it took all of you to put this story together and, and fool me with this story. They said, no, no, it's real. And he said, I got to see it. I got to see it. And the next week when Jesus comes, he sees it. He sees the nail prints in the hands and the feet. And he says, oh, my goodness gracious, you are risen from the dead. That was his case for Christ. the Holy Spirit can go anywhere. You can go to a bunch of shepherds out in the field the angels did their thing. They made the proclamation, Unto you is born this stay in the city of David. They head to Bethlehem. And then uh, the angels are gone, but the Holy Spirit is there. When they see the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, they head back to the fields, not right away. Where'd they go? They go into the village of Bethlehem. The 60 or 80 people that are living in that village, and they say to them, let me tell you what just occurred. Let me tell you about the babe. Let me tell you that he's the savior of mankind. The woman of Sychar as well wasn't educated. The shepherds weren't educated. The thief on the cross wasn't educated. The disciples weren't educated. The Bible says they were uneducated men. But when the Holy Spirit comes, everything changes. It has to. He's the power of God that loosened the life of men. When the Holy Spirit comes, you and I, as they, we make our case for Christ. There are two groups of people on planet Earth, those who do not know him. Three groups. Those who do not know him, those who knew him and left him, and those who knew him and stayed with him. John the Baptist, he's in the second group. John the Baptist knew him, and then he left him. John the Baptist said about Jesus, I'm not worthy to unloose the sandals of his feet. And then John the Baptist gets thrown into prison by King Herod. And he's rotting away in prison, watching the rats run around his feet, wondering when his next meal is going to come, wondering why he's losing so much weight wondering if they're going to put him to death. And he hears stories about Jesus. He hears that 10,000 people are following him up to some mountainside. And John the Baptist becomes angry. He sends two of his disciples, and they ask Jesus the question. John wants to know whether you are the Messiah or whether we should be waiting for someone else. Are you a fraud or are you the Messiah? And Jesus said to the disciples, you go back and tell the Baptists, you go back and tell them that the deaf hear and the blind see and the crippled walk and the lepers are cleansed and uh, the good news is preached to the poor. You go back and tell John that. Was Jesus angry at John? No, he wasn't. Right after that, he said, there's no one born of woman greater than John the Baptist. Jesus understands uh, when something terrible happens in our lives and, and we walk away from him. He understands that. He sees it all the time. For 55 years, King Manasseh, the, the king of the Israelites, uh, he walked away from him for 55 years. And then when Manasseh is captured and knows he's going to be tortured and killed, then he turns back to God. (laughs) Does God say to Manasseh, who are you kidding? You think you can fool me? This is a deathbed confession, Manasseh. I'm not going to accept it. Did he say that? No. He welcomed Manasseh back after 55 years. And the case for Christ by King Manasseh, after he came back to the faith, he served God's kingdom so powerfully. See, from the cross, served God's kingdom so powerfully. You say, are you out of your mind? He died. He didn't serve God's kingdom powerfully. There's one story in the Bible I use probably more often than anyone else. When I'm doing a funeral or meeting with someone who, isn't, who I don't know, And they'll talk about how they haven't lived for Christ or they got into some terrible mess or pastor, I was in prison for 10 years or this, that, and the other. And who do I tell them about? Thief on the cross. Who do ministers and rabbis and who do they talk about? The thief on the cross. He's gotten more ink. He's gotten more ink than most in the Bible. That was his case for Christ. I believe in you. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. Voltaire, a brilliant French philosopher, lived early 1700s mid 1700s. He was the greatest writer during the age of enlightenment, he was the greatest writer that France ever had. Great in his intellect, great in his wit, great in his style. But he was a deeply avowed atheist. Deeply avowed. He made his own case for Christ. He said the Bible is a fraud, myths filled with fairy tales. Jesus is a central fairy tale figure. And God, right up there with Jesus. This brilliant man said... That in a hundred years, the Bible will no longer exist, and when the Bible goes down the tubes, Jesus will go down the tubes, and God will go down the tubes, and we'll be done with this foolishness. And that was his case for Christ. Voltaire dies. Told you before. Weeks after his death, the French Bible Society bought his mansion, and in the mansion in which he denigrated Christ so terribly. For decades, there were hundreds of thousands of Bibles piled in all the rooms of his mansion. There were hundreds of thousands of Bibles that were printed and hundreds of thousands distributed. God has a sense of humor, does he not? He made his own case for Christ and the Word. Lee Strobel Brilliant man. Lead editor in the criminal division for the Chicago Tribune. Journalism degree out of the uh, University of Missouri. And then he says, Not enough. Want a law degree, but I won't. I don't want it from just any place. I'm going to Yale University. Comes out with a law degree. When he gets his degree, he takes a sabbatical for about a year's time. He had one purpose in mind. I will write a book that will refute Christianity once and for all. By the time my intellect and my resources are put to it, I am going to write a book that will destroy Christianity. And you know his story. In the areas of history, in the areas of archaeology, in the areas of the study of ancient manuscripts, he goes from one expert in the world to the next. And every time he interviews one of the experts, his jaw drops because everything they say, everyone that God sends him to, everyone that God sends him to, they say history manuscripts. They say, Lee, it can be no other way. Jesus Christ is real. The Bible is real. And the Father is real. And by the time that year is over, he has written of this book The Case for Christ. My most powerful case for Christ, one of our members, now seven months ago. I'll never stop talking about it, so get used to it. I'll try not to talk about it too often. The woman dying and me going to her and me asking her the question I ask all the time. When someone is battling a terminal illness question, I ask, do you believe there's life after this life? She seemed almost offended. And I literally asked her, why are you are offended by that? She said, pastor, of course I believe in life after this life. And I said, can you tell me why? And there, three words, Jesus cannot lie. You don't write a book out of three words, but three words can powerfully influence someone who's been in the ministry for 40 years, someone whose son is up in heaven Three words. Jesus cannot lie. And I think in my 40 years of ministry, those three words are the most powerful case for Christ that I've ever heard. Because for the next weeks, I studied it incessantly. Jesus comments about Satan, John 8, 44. He's a liar and a murderer from the beginning. When he lies, he speaks his native tongue. He is a liar and the father lies. Uh, Give it a break, Jesus. Five times in one verse, he's calling Satan a liar. And I'm sitting there thinking to myself, why would Jesus then, a month later, the day before he dies, why in the world would he say to his disciples, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I prepare a place for you, I'm going to come back and take you there. Why would he say that? Unless it was the truth. And why would he say to a thief on the cross, today you're going to be with me in paradise. Why would he say that unless it was the truth? In all the years that John has been gone, I think those three words affected me more deeply than anything else. Jesus cannot lie. When he says if you confess your sins to him, the sins are removed as if they never were, it's not possible for him to lie. When he says to the prodigal son, "Welcome," when he says to even the, the cross, "Welcome," he cannot lie. And when he says 153 times in the Bible, "There is life after this life," Jesus cannot lie. Your task on this earth, my task, the song I love it. Jason brought it to us three or four years ago. You and I are the kingdom of God. And if a dear lady dying of cancer can affect the life of a pastor who's been at it for 40 years more powerfully than any professor at the seminary ever did, if a lady can affect my life so deeply by three words, Jesus cannot lie. If you know him, it is easy to present him, and sometimes the fewer words spoken are the best. Jesus cannot lie. Be his salt on this earth and be his light in our Savior's name. Amen. Would you rise as we pray? Heavenly Father, you uh, appeared to 500. You appeared to James, your own brother. You appeared to the apostles. You appeared to St. Paul uh, the day that you rose from the dead. And out of your mouth came this statement, uh, Because I live, ye shall live also. God made his own case for his son. He said twice after the baptism and on Mount of Transfiguration, This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to everything he says. Believe every promise he gives. This is my beloved son. And if God makes his case for Jesus, and if Jesus has changed who we are, if he invades us on a daily basis, If he eases our fears and multiplies our joys, why would we not share him when the opportunity arises? In a gentle way, why would we not share him? Lord, may we be your living witnesses in our Savior's name. Amen.